Hello and welcome to Midlife Athlete Podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jason, and uh, as usual, I'm joined by my uh, my <laughs> yeah, slightly not COVID, uh, not COVID positive colleague, Greg. Yeah, bit of a head cold, a a head but cold. other than that, I'm fighting fit. Um, we have got a uh, really interesting um guest on tonight because we've touched on i think some of this stuff almost from our first show which is um which is quite incredible but um we've got a guest coming all the way from sydney um so ramin why why don't you uh, pleased to have you on why don't you introduce yourself um and uh tell us what you're doing in sydney uh, absolutely well uh, jason and greg it, it's a pleasure to meet you both and, and thank you for having me here today um, I guess I'm, I'm really excited to be here, uh, having listened to a few of the, the past uh, episodes of your podcast. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I've been very, very inspired and, and excited to be here and talk health, talk prevention, uh, and what we're building at Unleash, uh, really creating a vehicle that allows us to scale preventative health across the globe and starting in the US. So I guess... Kind of the, the, the little reminder for, for your audience uh, tonight is, uh, even though I'm based in Sydney, uh, we're uh, very much focused uh, on the US uh, initially and as we build Unleash. So we came across, um, we came across you, Ramin. Um, yeah. In fact, I think it was Greg. Mm. Greg, mm. I think you sent me a Medium article and said this is really interesting, which was really about health as a, a prevention as a service. And it really struck a chord with us because we've kind of been talking about, you know, people exercising in, in midlife to really try and give them that kind of health span, if you like, going into their into their later years. And um, so it, it seemed like what we were trying to do as midlife athletes, in a way, is a little bit like prevention as a service. But maybe maybe we've misunderstood that. So if you want to tell us a little bit about what actually do you mean by prevention as a service? Absolutely. And, and so I think we first need to kind of step back and really think about what do we mean by prevention? Um, and when you think about prevention and health as an extension of that, it's just the sum of day-to-day decision-making. Uh, very few people I don't know anyone who really goes through life and, and thinks of health as a destination. Uh, we go through life and a destination is, for example, let's pay off our mortgage, uh, let's get married, let's move to the countryside, let's have children, um, let's, uh, let's say, uh, find a job that's reliable and, uh, and, and enjoyable. But very rarely does someone wake up every morning and go, I want to get to destination health. And, and so... When you think about prevention as a service, the question you've got to ask yourself is, how do you effectively enable for these healthy habits and healthy behaviours to scale across the population effectively? And then how do you ensure that these behaviours sustain themselves? Because end of the day, we're all wired and attracted to this instant gratification. I think social media uh, has done us a service and a disservice uh, in ensuring that, you know, we're always looking at those like buttons. Uh, and so it doesn't work like that in health. It's a long journey and it's the sum of all those habits that give us that true preventative health element. 
Now, one one thought I had is perhaps you know to help to help it make sense for your audience. Why don't I actually take you through my own journey? And and I think it will you know both kind of clarify why is the Sydney cider here really focused on building Unleash and scaling preventative health across the globe. Um, what, why don't I take you back in time? So I came from an academic family. You know, entrepreneurship wasn't exactly how I was wired. Uh, I trained in nuclear physics um, and I, I went on post-nuclear physics training and at quite a young age, I was privileged enough to effectively be uh, uh, hold a tenure-track professorship uh, and it was during that time where I met my mentor, a gentleman called uh, that by the name of Dr. John Bumgana, who actually later joined my research team uh, out of Stanford, and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, well, the science is good, your passion for technology and what you're doing is, is amazing, but you're going to get bored here. And the reason you're going to get bored here is because you're a visionary, you strive for impact at scale, and I listened. Yeah. Uh, I listened. Uh, and very soon after, I resigned. And you could imagine coming from an academic family and, and you know, being an associate professor at, at quite a young age, well, all of a sudden, try to explain to your parents that, uh, you know, you're effectively jobless. You've uh, worn the hat of entrepreneurship uh, and, and you've stepped out. So all of a sudden, of course, at the dinner table, you don't hear your name as much as you used to. Um, from there... Look, um, things took a sharp turn, right? Soon after uh, me stepping out of the academic environment, I had to face the greatest health challenge of my life. Uh, I spent close to a year in and out of the hospital, a lot of surgery, uh, a long rehab process, uh, just to effectively um, be able to regain my ability uh, to eat and talk again. Now, what happens is when you spend almost a year in hospital, you become very observant because you have a lot of time, even with all the pain and, and suffering, you actually have a lot of time to think. And what I observed during that time is there's an invisible hand in the health system. And this invisible hand guides the bulk of the decisions we make. It's called financial incentives. We've all heard that culture eat strategy for breakfast, and I assure you financial incentives eat culture and breakfast, uh, culture and strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And also what I observed is that the health system isn't really optimized for the patient. We go around and we're always promoting words that around patient centricity. But what I saw, it's really optimized around physician workflow. It's optimized for billing. And so having the time to really reflect about this, I saw tremendous opportunity for transforming just the very basic ways in which we deliver healthcare. And so I was bold enough that once I managed to get back on my feet, once I regained my health, 100% of it, I took to the island of Taiwan. And I joined a company which at that stage was, I would say, coming out of startup mode, going into scale-up mode. It was, at that point, a smaller scale uh, medical device company by the name of SHL Medical, an amazing company solving for a very noble cause. The company made auto-injectors. 
And so what is an auto-injector? Auto-injector is a self-administration device. So typically it goes inside the auto-injector is a therapy, a biologic or a biosimilar, that's, that's used to help patients with chronic conditions manage their condition better, manage their symptoms better. Now, we went through a period of exponential growth. And during that period, SHL Medical became the world leader, true world leader in, in drug delivery. But what I observed there is our exponential growth was a reflection of the exponential growth in the prevalence of chronic conditions in society. And I actually wasn't okay with that. So I, I saw the inefficiencies of health system lying there in a hospital bed for a year. And then I saw that as time goes by, we are getting sicker and sicker in society. And you don't have to look far to see the statistics. One in two adults in most countries, whether it's Australia or the US or the UK, have a chronic condition. And this is what really ignited me to come back to Australia and rethink how do we enable people to prioritize their health and well-being in an environment which its mandate is diabetes management. Its mandate and mission has become obesity management. And there is very few conversations around prevention. Yeah, and it's, so it's um, something that we've touched on because we, I mean, most of our audience, as you would expect, are probably exercising. And one of the things that Greg and I have, we've talked about before with a couple of guests and we've mused about it is um, we all know exercise is, well, we should all know that exercise is good for us. Um, and, and if it was a pill, we'd probably, and in fact, I think I did actually come across a startup that is actually looking at um, creating a pill for it. But if it was a pill, we'd all be taking it, right? And, and sure. yet there's a massive massive percentage of the population that just doesn't move and therefore doesn't get the required exercise. Um, and so I, I think this is what Greg and I were sort of chatting about a little bit before you came on. How do we, what, what do we need to do to, to make that behavior shift? Um, that seems quite integral to, to, to your idea. I, I, absolutely. And I think if, if we've got to kind of dig a little bit deeper to, to actually understand why are we not shifting, and part of it actually comes to the way that society has been wired. Mm. The truth is healthcare is consumed as sick care. And when you think it, about it in that framework, now health becomes a binary event. It's a literally a zero or a one. I am healthy until I'm not healthy. And so... When society thinks about it in that way, you know, adopting these healthy habits and sustaining them becomes the greatest challenge. The way I also we think about it is there's a reimbursement code, right? There's a reimbursement code for your diabetes medic medication. There's a reimbursement code uh, for medications that prevent heart disease, for hypertension, there's a reimbursement code for obesity management and the care you need. But there's no reimbursement code for exercise. There's no reimbursement code for effectively 
enabling people to, or, or incentivizing people to adopt healthier behaviors, these don't exist. And we also got to recognize within a health system, physicians are not trained to focus on the preventative aspects of health. And further, they're not incentivized. Now, you may sit back and go, well, let's say we had the incentivization, we had the training, but for as long as healthcare is consumed as sick care, that means people only interact with the health system when they're sick. And we know to change behavior, you need frequent nudging and guidance and effectively engagement and inspiration in order to keep people accountable, motivate them on this health journey, and then reward them for achieving their goals. So you need a system where effectively we understand your health behaviours, we understand your barriers to adopting those health behaviours, and we will come along on this journey with you to keep you uh, accountable, well, motivate I'm, I'm, I'm you. I'm intrigued actually to, to know um, what, uh, <laughs> how you're going to do that. <laughs> I'm itching to know, to find out. I, I, absolutely. And so, so I think, and I've said this a number of times, I fundamentally believe the path to health is not via healthcare. The incentives are not there. Healthcare is treated as highly episodic. So the, the touch points are infrequent. And so you've got to really step outside of the boundaries of the health system and ask yourself, which stakeholder, which stakeholders are actually incentivized to keep the population healthy? The challenge is we've always gone to healthcare to seek health because just the two names of health and care. But when you kind of take a step out and uh, take a step back and zoom out, what you realize, Greg and Jason, is every stakeholder outside of the medical economy is incentivized for consumers to be healthy because a healthy consumer will earn more, a healthy consumer will spend more, a healthy consumer is happier and more productive, a healthy consumer will buy more premium products, and the list just goes on. So straight away, you have this alignment of incentives, purely economic incentives, if you just look at it through that window, that stakeholders outside of the medical economy want a healthy society. But for too long, we have looked at healthcare as the solution to health. And don't get me wrong, healthcare serves a very noble cause. And so what we're talking about is how do you augment medical care with a model which ensures that takes us further upstream effectively to keep people healthy for longer with a better quality of life. Because as someone who's an expert in biologics, biosimilar, these advanced therapies that have come out to, to help chronic disease patients better manage their condition, I can tell you life as a patient with a chronic condition is 
removes your sense of dependency, removes your mobility, removes a lot of financial freedoms you had. Life becomes very expensive when you're on these when you're on these therapies. So how do we think go further upstream and either prevent the onset of the chronic condition, prevent the progression of the chronic condition, or even have a conversation on how do we reverse it? And it doesn't take much. <coughs> I mean, I think what you're, and I, I had a look at Unleash, um, which is which is the sort of um, uh, the sort of entrepreneurial way in which you're 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 tackling this, and it, it it seemed to be suggesting, and I think you alluded to it there in your answer, that actually brands might be our um, our kind of crutches, if you like. Um, that and, and mentors, the ones that are going to kind of prod us to um, live those sort of uh, healthier life. And I'm just, I'm intrigued by that because um, I'm wondering how much power brands actually have to be able to to do that. So it'd be, it'd be really good if you could. If there was an example, maybe um, of 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 how you how you see it working, because it's it's it, it, it's a big challenge, right? At the moment, it's a it's it's one of our biggest challenges. It, it is, and, and and Jason, you touched on a very important point, and that's the point of what's the business model for prevention? Because within the medical economy, that business model doesn't exist. So now we need to look outside of the medical medical economy. And there has been a business model. So just before we touch on brands, I do want to recognize there has been a business model for prevention. And that's called universities, governments, local councils, both governments at the state and federal level, non-for-profits. But the problem with that business model is it never scales. Because the moment the funding dries up, the moment there's an election and priorities shift, the money that goes into these preventative in initiatives dries up. The initiative dries up. If you're an academic center running the program, great. There's a tremendous amount of excellent publications that show preventative interventions work. They save the medical <coughs> economy in the country billions of dollars, but they never scale. One, one program which I'm quite fond of is a program that's run in Nevada. It's called, the, um, the from memory, it's called the... Um, it's actually called the Healthy Nevada Project. Uh, now, this is the largest community-based population health study in the world. And it's a collaboration between, uh, effectively, uh, Nevada's health system in the U.S. and Helix, which is a genomics company. And what they effectively enable at a population level is it's free for every citizen of the state to get their genetics profiled, understand their risk factors so they can be a bit more proactive. So that's, that's I guess, one good example where you've got this public-private partnership, but again, it's funded by non-for-profit. Money, you know, the, the money will at some point and the priorities will shift. And so this is where we, we thought scaling prevention is the most important thing and brands have the greatest role to play. And there are a number of reasons here, Jason, because 
I touched on the alignment of financial incentives, the same invisible hand that kind of prevents us from prioritizing health within the medical economy. That same invisible hand within brands actually prioritizes health. But above that, brands have one more superpower that no stakeholder in the medical economy has, and that's influence. Because the reality is we are heavily influenced by the brands we love. We are heavily influenced by the brands, aspirational brands. Let's put some names out there. Nike. The cup of coffee we pick up in the morning from Starbucks. I know those who love Starbucks will hold on to that cup of coffee <laughs> even after that cup is empty. I've seen it. And, and so there is a tremendous level of influence and influence starts shaping behaviours. And what we do at Unleash, we are a behaviour change platform. But what we do is we leverage the influence of brands to help aspire and move communities in a way that is not an additional burden to their day-to-day -day life. Because if prevention itself becomes a thing, no one wants prevention. Prevention just needs to be part of your day-to-day decision-making. Did I take the stairs or did I catch jump in the elevator? Did I walk to pick up my lunch or did I order it on Uber Eats? Very simple behaviours start adding up to give us the health outcomes we want. And trust me, if you're a Nike, you want to get maximum wear in those pair of shoes so you're back again to buy your, your new pair of Nikes sooner rather than later. So I, I, I'm assuming that you probably are going to have to go after particular brands, right? I mean, certainly processed food brands probably aren't going to be number one on your list to go after this. But I, I mean, it's interesting what you say about the invisible hand of the finances. So I don't know if it was a, certainly over here, and I think it was in South Africa, there was a life insurance business that essentially said, look, if you connect your track, your wearables, um, and we see you doing exercise, um, you get lower premiums, which seemed which seemed an obvious um, um, sort of fit, and you, and, and you could see it. But but you're you're going like way beyond that by by the sounds of it. And so it's like Starbucks might encourage you to to lead a healthier life. Absolutely, our mission is very clear at Unleash, and it's to improve measurably the health of 1 billion people in a span of just over 10 years. And so when you set a mission of that nature, you've got to take a step back and go, how do you achieve that within 10 years? Because if we're specifically going to build for one particular insurance company or one particular stakeholder within the medical economy, we can never scale and reach and mobilise the masses from North America to Southeast Asia down to Australia. And, and don't get me wrong, many companies within healthcare and by extension digital health and direct-to-consumer health have made very noble advances in this space. But 
having built a couple of startups in the digital health space before, what happened in the past decade of digital health is that the startups in digital health built for the medical economy, and what happened is they had to accelerate time to reimbursement code. And so the priorities shifted from consumer centricity to health system centricity very fast. And there was a paper that was actually published in 2019 that looked at 93 mental clinical mental health apps. So these are mental health apps that had some level of regulatory approval. And it demonstrated that consumer engagement and retention, meaning that someone just opened the app, dropped to 4% within 14 days across all 93 digital mental health apps. So we completely forgot the consumer. And this is what literally gave the tailwind to some of the most brilliant direct-to-consumer uh, healthcare companies that, let's say, give you a patch to wear on your arm as a continuous glucose monitor in a really nice app. They kind of, you can almost spit in a cup and get your genes profiled. You can do a little poop in the bucket uh, and get a good understanding of your microbiome. And, and so all these companies that emerged, emerged on one thing. Let's create the most amazing consumer experience. Let's actually build for the consumer. But there was one barrier that was not overcome. And that is, I will build the, the best consumer experience in the world. But if for as long as I am asking the consumer to pay significant amount of money every single month to use my service, my appeal and my scalability is limited. And we've seen this, that these technologies, these, these amazing technologies have been limited to the wealthy, you know, metropolitan areas, that the people who live on the coastline, the people who live here in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, the people who live in Manhattan, you know, the wealthy of San Francisco. We never managed to build digital technologies that are consumer first, and built for the everyday American, built for the everyday Australian, built for the citizens of Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, where we know there's an epidemic of mental health and chronic conditions. And so what we did on Leishi, we fundamentally re-engineered re and rethought, how do we effectively build a business model and scale a business model, which still is built on a consumer-obsessed platform for behavior change, but it's powered by the brands and sponsored by the brands that as consumers we love, we admire, and we respect. And to your point, Jason, yes, it just can't be any brand. Yeah. And do you are you also envisaging that um because one of the other things that we've 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 put it out on a on a on a sort of uh, on a newsletter on Substack that we have which is which is something called the midlife athlete framework. So it's 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 how, you know, as a midlife athlete you you were trained. But do you envisage something like that for your everyday person that so that when they engage with these brands that you know is there a sort of set of simple things um that 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 they do and you you gave some examples for example when you go and get your lunch walk 
and get your lunch as opposed to order it on Uber Eats. Um, is that is that how you envisage things playing with 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 these brands? I, I, you're, you're spot on, and and I would just extend that, uh, Jason. And in order to enable a brand to sponsor behaviour change of a consumer who loves that brand, we first really need to start by understanding the individual. And the good news is, these days, digital phenotyping is at such an advanced level where effectively the phone that I'm holding right now in my hand is a very good predictor of not only my morbidities, but potentially even my mortality. And so there is all the digital signatures that we create on whether it's social media channels, whether it's day-to-day on our phone, how we interact, create this wealth of information that allows us to not just understand an individual. And social media does this very well. We even see it in the medical economy Companies in the space of digital biomarkers and digital therapeutics are leveraging these digital phenotypic data in order to predict the onset of Alzheimer's 10 years before there's any measurable signature. Or they're predicting a relapse of MS before it happens so that, you know, the, the patient can get the care they need. And so we've got to leverage these digital signatures to get to know you, but more importantly, get to know your barriers. Because there's probably a reason why you've called the Uber Eats. There's probably a reason why you've kind of let yourself go at some point. And I'm sure it's not because you don't want to be in shape. There's most likely there might be barriers with family commitments. There might be barriers with, instead of, you know, effectively going for your walk in the morning, you're going to drop off the kids at daycare. And so to me, there's, there's not a, you can't address these prevention with a broad stroke. You need to have what I call precision public health, the highest resolution data that helps us understand the individual, helps us understand what motivates the individuals, and then you do a brand alignment. Because I know the brands you love, I probably don't like them, I mean, I'm loyal to two, don't get me wrong, Jason, and I'm happy to promote them here on the podcast. Um, so I'm, I am very brand loyal, and those brands do shape my personality, but they're not the brands I'm pretty sure that, that you like and you aspire towards. So Ramit, brand sorry, can, sorry can, I just, can I just... um And then the last can, piece can of just, the puzzle um, interject there, but, is measuring... Um, I mean, there, there is a preventative or prevention health... I would say healthcare, but there is prevention out there with dentistry. When you look at what, what happened with the model of dentistry in general, you've got toothpaste adverts, toothbrush adverts, you've got your parents telling you to brush your teeth twice a day. Um, you go to the dentist, even though there's nothing wrong. So there is this, there is, there is something in our, in our that has, has been instilled in us to look after our teeth. Not everyone does, but if you, if you have been instilled in you by Either the TV to brush your teeth or, or, or floss or whatever it might be, there is there is someone you go to f- to make sure you're okay. You you and you're preventing problems from happening, and that's something that 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 do, do, is is dentistry something you've looked at as a, as a, as a way of trying rep, almost using that type of 
of of um, of ways of, inst of instilling and incentivizing. Well, I, I mean, you, you touched on dentistry, yeah. but also think about just the pandemic, right? I mean, a vaccine is was a preventative tool that was introduced into society. Um, you know, if if you're all in the midlife phase, you, pro you know, we all probably grew up in households where ashtrays in the living room were normal. I remember after our guests used to live, it was literally my job to grab, you know, a wet napkin cloth and empty the ashtrays yeah. into the bin. It's the, the shift is, is tremendous. It was only 20 years ago when I was cleaning ashtrays at the pub to make a living during, you know, the years when I was studying. And so a lot has shifted. There's no denial, Greg, that much of the messaging, preventative messaging, is there. It's in society. And the question is, well, how do you how do you how do you ensure people are adopting and sustaining these behaviors? And this is where you've got to come back down to fundamental human behavior. Because this is both a challenge of behavioral economics, it's a challenge of health economics. What do, we, what do we crave? We crave community. We crave belonging. We want to demonstrate that we are progressing with our health goals. Frankly, we actually crave autonomy. We want to set our health goals. And so getting to know these individual behaviours which enable us to take preventative approaches becomes critical. So when you think about the work, for example, we're doing at Unleash is very much in line with that dentistry approach that you mentioned, Greg, is let's understand what individual drivers are. Let's, based on those and, and very robust clinical models, understand the risk factors based on those behaviours. And then let's bring on brands to take these consumers on the health journey. So you mentioned dent dentistry. Well, let's think about the Colgate brand. Let's think about Oral-B. I'll use a slightly different brand of toothpaste. Um, and here, so, so all of a sudden now imagine the brand is sponsoring an individual's journey towards dental hygiene. Now, dentistry, to a large extent, becomes a niche when you think about kind of what are the top three causes of a society that is sick? We're talking about heart disease. We're talking about diabetes. We're talking about obesity. When we start looking at the fundamental roots of what is, why is our society so sick, I think dentistry still literally becomes a little bit of a bonus and a niche and a, and a privilege. I think we need to kind of even go back to more basic behaviours. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that um, we, 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 we've had this debate uh, Greg and I, and I mean, I'm mean, not quite sure what the answer is. Greg's pretty sure he thinks he knows what the answer is, but it's like, do you, we think that when you're younger and you exercise or you do sport, which generally it's play mostly then, right? You, you'll, you'll, you'll tend to kind of sustain those behaviors in, in, in later life. Um, I'm not so sure, I think, um, but so we, we, we've, we've agreed to sort of slightly disagree there. But with Unleash, 
<clears throat> do you think um i'm interested because are you thinking that you might need to um pardon the pun unleash those behavioral change at a younger demographic because they'll then sustain that or 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 do you think actually it doesn't matter you can you can interject at any at any point absolutely and look today we don't have data on that but what i can say is the the platform the core kind of what i will call the demographic which where we believe will adopt this platform is gen z and millennials now when you look at Gen Z and even millennials, we're now talking about an epidemic of obesity and mental health challenges. So the, even at, at a young age, we have a significant problem that unless we effectively regress, unless we start instilling those habits, they're going to effectively enter the medical economy at a much younger age than you and I did. Well, I actually read a piece of um, medical research that suggests that cancers are growing at, at a much younger age than they were for for, for our generation. So, um, which is slightly alarming. And, and Jason, what are, what are what are the the top reasons for cancer? Yeah, well, I what mean, the- again, it, it it suggested younger generation weren't weren't exercising uh, as they should be. Their diets, obviously completely different to what it was when when probably the likes of us were growing up because of the amount of processed food and so on and so forth. Spot on. If you look at the top causes of cancer, 80% of the top 10, 8 out of the top 10, mm. 80% is behavioural. Mm. Because 8 out, 8 out of the top 10 reasons are behavioural, 40% of cancers can be prevented by simple changes in our lifestyle. And you're spot on. And we're today sitting around worried that the health economy is going to break the back of the economy. And now think about this influx of Gen Zs and now millennials that are moving into becoming a cost centre, a significant cost centre for the medical economy because we never thought about moving upstream. We didn't even think about shifting the conversation upstream. And there's there's some reasons for that, Jason. And you know, I, I think this is one of those podcasts where where we can have some frank conversations. And I'll ask you, what gets more votes? Yeah. Does a hospital in the local district get more votes, or having really nice foot safe footpaths or safety at night time? Now, I can tell you, the hospital gets a lot more votes on election day than nice safe environment where you can go for a run, whether it's nighttime or footpaths well, where certainly, certainly you're safe, not going to get hit by a car. Um, yeah, and there's yeah, an emotional... Well, it was certainly within the NHS well, isn't it? in the UK. It's like, don't touch the NHS. Uh, but it needs to be touched in some way. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're quite right, yeah. Roman. You're quite right. So... <coughs> so what are you doing ramin to uh to 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 live up to um you know well what are you doing walking the talk and talking the talking the walk as it were to uh i mean you mentioned you 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 
you were residing in Sydney because of the the lifestyle issues and how that helped you exercise. So tell us a little bit more about your own personal um, sort of journey with with exercise. Absolutely. Um, It's quite interesting. Uh, A wise man once told me, if you're going to go down the path of uh, entrepreneurship and, and building a technology company, uh, reside where you're going to have the best mental and physical health uh, because uh, it's a journey that requires resilience. Uh, it can at times be a journey that gets quite lonely uh, and you've got to be in an environment where your environment encourages movement and healthy behaviours day in and day out. Um, I, I'm very privileged. I live in the, the eastern suburbs of Sydney, very close to Sydney Harbour. Um, I, uh, w- without this sounding like a, a commercial, but uh, I do uh, on a daily basis uh, go to a one of the most uh, iconic gyms in the country. It's at the Bondi Icebergs, uh, where the famous Bondi Ice- Icebergs pool is. I run to the gym. Um, I uh, and I do it for a number of reasons. Uh, a lot of people ask me, well, why are you running? 10 kilometers, uh, five kilometers each way uh, to go and exercise. Well, my answer always is it's to save time uh, because what do I do when I'm at the gym? I probably start on the treadmill. So we can remove that and we've already warmed up. We're going to sweat and we will start with it. Then we'll continue with the weight training. And so, you know, 45, 50 minutes at the gym is condensed down to 25 minutes and then you you run back. So uh, as counterintuitive as it sounds, uh, that um, uh, <laughs> running or even walking to the gym does save time. Um, look, that's that's exercise and, and exercise is one element, but I think just surrounding yourself with people that inspire you is super critical in this journey. And I'm very privileged to have been able to build a team, uh, including my co-founder, Tara Mahapatra, uh, and a very... Um, um, capable team across, you know, genetic epidemiology, public health, behavioral economics, behavioral health, data and AI from across the US and here in Australia that, again, bring in the accountability, bring in the inspiration and bringing the day-to-day nudges that I need as we build this business to ensure that we can see it through and see it through very successfully. Um, diet, diet's important, Jason, and I realise I didn't touch on that. Um, you've got to think before you eat. We don't do that. We don't do enough of that, right? And when you think before you eat, uh, there's a lot of stuff you stop eating. Uh, and uh, and I've learned that. I, I wasn't always like that, uh, and so I don't want to hear boast about uh uh, for me, it was something that perhaps changed in midlife. Uh, realizing that uh, you got one body, you got one mind, you got to respect it. And before you pick something up and put it in your mouth, uh, just think about how it was made, where it was made. Uh, I, I, the way I, I filter food out is uh, I say the longer the food lasts, yeah. the shorter your life will last. Very good. Like that. Yeah, very good. Very good. I like that. Very true. Um, so when does when does a leash get sort of 
um, launched, or is it formally launched? But maybe it's just in the states, and therefore um, uh, we it hasn't hasn't hit us yet in in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're in build modes. We're we're under NDA with a number of uh, what I would call um, very reputable global brands uh, who are very interested to come on this journey with us. Um, we are looking at effectively driving prevention as potentially even a, a moonshot uh, across the US uh, in order to end of the day, the goal is to inspire and move the masses, move the needle at the population level. Can we m- move the communities in middle America? Can we move uh, the communities here in the, in, in the outback, outback of Australia? So from border to border, from East Coast to West Coast, Again, the same goes for Southeast Asia. So, you know, we are still, we still got a bit of work ahead of us before launch. And, you know, this is this is really, I, I might as well use this platform for, you know, a, a call out to companies who want to jo- join us on this journey, brands who want to effectively improve their brand equity by investing in health equity of society. It's a shout out. It's a call out to them. We need them. We want them to come along on this journey with us. And again, a shout out to all the people who are passionate to see the world becoming a healthier place for themselves, for their children, for their grandchildren. The chronic disease epidemic that we have today is no less of a challenge than global warming. So if we care about the planet, we should also care about ourselves as citizens of this planet yeah yeah well in in some respects they 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 go hand in hand right i mean if we if we walk and cycle more and we change what we eat um then that's that's also going to be good for for the planet as well absolutely we talk about esg it's got an e it's also got an s and the s is for social the E is for environment, and we can see the two are literally back to back next to each other. Spot on, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, <coughs> we've got a similar sort of very low key version. Um, I think we're going to speak to a doctor um, here in the UK uh, over in the next couple of weeks. Who, again, um, working in a in a in a A and E unit and seeing people walking in with diseases that were completely preventable, and thinking. Why are we not taking steps, you know, way, way back so that they're not walking through my door in an A&E unit? Um, and um, so I think she's taking a slightly different approach, but but it's, yeah, very, very interesting that uh, this is springing up in all sorts of different guises now. And, and, and Jason, I know we've stepped out of the medical economy. But the reality is also the medical economy has a lot to benefit when these preventative behaviours become widespread. I always, you know, coming from the pharma space, I know that drugs work better in patients who also adopt behaviours that enhance the therapeutic efficacy of that drug. So whether you're talking type 2 diabetes, we published a paper, I think it was around 2019, and what we demonstrated in that paper was we're approving, the FDA is approving more drugs for type 2 diabetes with high levels of efficacy. But when you look at the percentage of the population who have their condition under control, 
it's not just plateaued, but it's starting to drop. And so under control is defined as an A1C level below 7%. So more therapies are hitting the market, better drugs, but the outcomes are not improving. And this again goes back to you need to, you cannot outsource your health and well-being to a drug. You've got to augment it with behaviors that enhance and sustain the therapeutic efficacy of that drug. And that's why we're also having conversation. When you think about brands, pharmaceutical companies are also brands. How, to, how can Unleash work in, with pharma to improve and enhance their drugs? Yeah, well, we had a we had a great example on of the podcast of a of a guy who had um, who had cancer, and and whilst he was on drugs, actually um, has lived way 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 longer because, and he's convinced it's down to you know the fact that he that he exercises regularly and uh, and eats a you know a much better diet. Um, so yeah, absolutely uh, absolutely right, um, Ramin. We we always ask um, guests. The same two questions, and if you've listened to a few podcasts, you will you'll know where we're coming from. Um, it's the same two questions. Um, the first question is: uh, if you could only do two forms of exercise or sport, um, which two would you do? Weightlifting would be top of my list. Because I am living evidence of weightlifting transforms not just from a strength perspective, it actually transforms your confidence. And the reason is, how where, how, where does our confidence come from? It comes from many different elements, but one element is just wearing a T-shirt, wearing a shirt, and it's a nice fit to the body. That simple. And so, you know, the weightlifting is not just a health benefit. There's a mental health benefit that follows. And the second one is just any form of movement which increases your heart rate. Let it be walking at a fast pace, running in my case, because for me, I always think in very simple terms. We've got this complex machine called the human body, and in a very simple fashion, we want to get as much blood flow into all parts of the body in order to just flush it out and keep it working really well. So if I was to just simplify the second one, keep moving, get your heart rate up, get blood pumping, all organs and parts of the body. So there's my that's my two picks. Well, I know Greg would love the uh, strength one. He's, uh, he's even converted me as well. So uh, I was enjoying my burpees yeah, last, it, last well night down well in the uh, basement car park, Greg. Yeah, yeah. So this is a... Um, Do you want to take the last one away? This is a, um, a desert, not a desert island disc, but it's a groundhog day of exercise. So this is the... Um, can you? Is there something in your past, a, a memory uh, of an event or a moment in your exercise history? which is so memorable, you would love, just love to keep repeating it. So, so if, if I can just read that back to you, Greg, because it cut out slightly, a memory in my yeah, exercise some, yeah, history, which is memorable. Is that correct? Want to the moment, again and again. Maybe it was a... A particular run on a particular day. It was a 
when you did your you know your PB uh, deadlift, uh, whatever it might be. What, what was the moment you want to keep on reliving? Uh, look, absolutely, and, and I would probably put a window of four years when I lived in on the island of Taiwan, uh, and uh, Taiwan is known for its mountains, and you don't have to walk far outside of a major city to start hiking these mountains. And religiously for four years, every Sunday, uh, from sunrise to well and truly into the evening, um, I would just go climbing these mountains. Uh, hiking, uh, quite steep, challenging hikes. Uh, and these were, for me, uh, some of the greatest memories. And there was nothing better than descending these mountains coming into a big city, whether it was Taipei or, or Taoyuan, and uh, then going out for a fantastic uh, feast and perhaps topping it up with a few uh, Taiwan pijo, Taiwan beer. So uh, it's, it's, uh, I think that the hiking was just some of the best, best experience uh, in my life. That's, that's a fabulous uh, one to, uh, to to finish on. Yeah, that, I can just see that vision now. Um, Raman, it's been great having you on. Uh, appreciate your time. Mm. Um, it, it, it's, we wish you all the best. We'll definitely follow with an awful lot of interest because it's something that um, I know is, is close to, to, to Greg and I's heart. So um, maybe we'll get you on again and we can talk about um, how, how successful you are at hitting all those numbers because um, – um, we, sh we, we, as you say, it's a big challenge we need to tackle. Thank, thank you, Jason. Really appreciate the opportunity. I just want to wrap up saying, you know, we've all heard this: health is wealth, and for as long as we have health, we have hope. So, so let's keep staying healthy. Let's keep focusing on the good habits, uh, and let's unleash the power of brands to sponsor and and inspire and motivate. Good message. Us Cheers, Robbie. Go further. <laughs>